Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts Couch to 80k Writing Bootcamp Week 6, Day 4. Over the past couple of days I've talked about not overstuffing your narrative with metaphor, but the truth is, almost all language is metaphor. <laughs> Bits of brain matter all over your headphones. I, I want to give you an example by way of a quick thought experiment, and if you've heard me talk about this before, then please hear me again. Okay, so I'd like you to picture, for a moment, if you would, yourself at home. Close your eyes and set the scene. If you're listening to me at home, that won't be a, a, a terribly tricky effort of creative mentation, but wait. You hear a noise at the front door. You go and open it, the door, not the noise. And there, at your door, is a dog in a hat. My question to you is, in your mind's eye, what type of dog do you see and what type of hat? I've done this exercise, and I use that term very loosely, with groups before. I've done it on my old radio show and everyone sees a specific dog and a specific hat. But no two people see the same combination. So like today, I saw a grey-white pug in a yellow bowler doing the exercise, not in real life. That would have been amazing. Um perched at a rakish angle. I like rakish angles in hats. I, I, I don't wear hats myself, but I think because the physics don't really work in real life. Anyway, look, I didn't plan that combo. Frankly, I would have chosen something less mainstream than a pug if I had, but my mind just supplied an image to fit the demands of the nouns it was given. And people have seen a whippet in a fez, an afghan in a black tricorner, a French bulldog in a pith helmet. Sometimes people don't know the name for the breed or the hat they can see, so they just have to describe it as best they can. These aren't people trying to come up with funny answers. Their brain still gives them an image which they have to describe as best they can. It's just an automatic response. You may well be wondering why this matters, but understanding this process, and I'm completely serious here, is fundamental to controlling your writing. As an author, you're continually making decisions on how sharply to tighten your focus. Every noun and verb you choose, and more crudely, every adjective and adverb you use to modify those nouns and verbs, changes what the reader sees. If you write, I opened the door, there in front of me was a dog in a hat, then you're letting the reader's brain choose exactly what type of dog and what type of hat. If you write, there in front of me, was an Alsatian in a sombrero, then no reader is going to see a pug in a yellow bowler. You've uh, narrowed the semantic window. And and there's not a right or a wrong to this. I'm not suggesting that one is always correct and one is always liable to get you scolded by me if I ever found out. Much as I'd love to be able to give you definitive, this is the one true way to write advice. My tendency as an author is to be as specific as possible. Crunchy specificity, I call it much to my students' amusement and scorn. I don't want a tree, I want a beach, an elm, a monkey puzzle, a cypress. Someone's holding a gun, is it a rifle, shotgun, pistol, carbine? What make? You might well say, well, a pistol's a pistol, but it's not. A Webley service revolver handles very differently to a broom-handled Mauser. And those names, they're just more evocative than gun. Broom-handled Mauser. Most people can't picture one from the name alone, but that doesn't matter. It just feels more real. I, I, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. And I should say I'm not a gun person. I don't know all the guns. Happy people don't don't know all the guns, do they? If, if somebody knows the guns, you know they're not a, a 
well person. But look, that's just because we live in a world of specifics, right? We we live in we don't see things as 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 general categories of nouns, right? We don't perceive these kind of states of archetypes. We encounter specific, unique objects. When I ask you to picture a dog in a hat, your mind hasn't got like this generic semiotic marker for dog that it can just plop into the scene, and then another generic marker for hat that it can plop on top. It converts those abstractions into something specific and real. It commits where the writer, in this case me, didn't. On the other hand, I've been criticised in my own writing for, have far too, for having far too much faff in my prose, and, and that's probably a fair comment. I hold my hands up. I, I do faff a lot, and I like it. Um, The reader doesn't need to know the exact subspecies of flowers in the window box your protagonist is passing, and a lot of them don't want to know, especially if your protag isn't interested in flowers themselves and the flowers aren't pertinent to the conflicts they're facing. You have to pick your battles, right? Simplicity can be bold and vivid. A sun sets over a red sea. The beach is empty. A girl walks alone across the sand, stopping now and then to kneel and pick up a shell. Now, that is really simple. And, and there are a bunch of nouns there that could be more specific. What kind of shell? What does this girl look like? Is it volcanic sand? But, but, but I, I don't think they need to be any more specific than that. It feels like we're just observing this scene from a distance. And, I mean, I know I wrote it, so I'm not, like, bigging it up. But, like... I can picture that scene well enough and it does the job. And I bet you think so too. So it's not just a question of good or bad, specificity amazing, non-specificity, uh, you, you should be shot. Some authors write really stripped down bare bones prose. That's quite trendy at the moment. Others write wet, pungent, detailed prose. Some move between both styles as their scenes demand. I, I have my bias on this and you're allowed yours, but all that matters for you is that you're conscious of the effects your choices create. It's like choosing between a wide-angle shot and an extreme close-up, and, and of course there are all sorts of shades between those two polarities. Very detailed prose is almost always slower because of the burden of information you're conveying, but not always. He poured himself a Coke, or he poured himself a Scotch, or he poured himself a milk, are all no longer than he poured himself a drink, but each is clearer, more accented. At least to me. You may not care that a bit character routinely sips on a highball glass of skimmed milk. To me, that's a cool quirk, and, and it gives me more than just drink. So, anyway, let's get on with the exercise. Today, you're going to write a short scene. Uh, you're going to write it in the third person, that is, he said, she stood they walked, etc. It can be in present or past tense, though, up to you. Uh, you're going to write a scene about a character, and this character is going to be waiting for someone or something. So you're going to write about a character waiting for someone or something. You'll, you'll need to pick a location, and you might want to ask yourself how this character is feeling about their impending encounter. Um, there may be other people around there, um, they may be waiting alone. But for this scene, you're going to alternate sentence by sentence between low detail and high detail style, between a dog in a hat and a dachshund in a straw boat. Or, I mean, not literally between those two sentences. That would be um, very experimental. Just, uh, you know, low, high, low, high. So you might start, um, a man sits, his eyes closed, low detail. In his dark fingers is the smouldering stub of a Marlboro Red. High detail. It's evening. Low detail. 
He has on a pair of checkered chef's trousers, fluorescent orange Puma disc system trainers and a fluffy powder blue dressing gown, its pockets bulging with scraps of notepaper. High detail. He smokes, breathes and thinks. Low detail. And so on, low, high, low, high, feeling your way through the scene, discovering this character and what their deal is. Okay, so does that make sense? You're going to write somebody is waiting for something or someone. You're going to write it in the third person, present or past. And you're going to go low, high, low, high, low, high. Does it make sense? Cool, that's your scene. You've got ten minutes. Ready? Go.
And that's it. That was a challenging task. So kudos for taking a run at it. I'm I'm enjoying kind of like throwing a few more difficult ones at you. And I hope that that was interesting and rewarding for you. How did it go? How did that rhythm feel moving between simple descriptions and more gnarly textured ones? None of these exercises has a single secret moral to it that I want you to read off and then apply to all your writing, but some, like this one, work as a little proof of concept for a particular move you can ingest into your repertoire. Switching between low and high detail sentences can give a scene a readable dynamic flow. Dense clumps of information are balanced by crisp, simple prose that pushes things forward. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if by the end of the piece, if you got more than a couple of sentences into it, it was starting to feel a little forced. And that's fine. The purpose is not to say, hey, from now on, you have to write an entire novel using this as the governing rule. But if you're introducing us to a character for the first time, that push-pull tension between movement and detail, mystery and answers, um, it is a good place to start. Tricks like this, and they are tricks, all creative writing is just daisy chaining together these little techniques, no shame in that, can be a really good way to ease you into a scene. They give you a rule to follow and that takes some of the pressure of the blank page off and it's rewarding for the reader as well without knowing it, you know, in the same way that reading a poem and having kind of like a meter governing the text, it can be really nice for a reader, even though they're not conscious of the rule that is governing the scene, they feel it flow into something that feels uh, formally interesting. Um, and you can always come back later and, and, and smudge it so the prose is less regimented. Or it might be fine as it is. Just play about and see. Anyway, look, tomorrow, uh, please, can you have a novel with you when you come to listen? I'm not planning on being boring and saying you're going to have to read. Oh, that was a funny joke, Tim. Just um, we, you're going to need a fictional text with you. Um, ideally, something by an author whose style you really like. Uh, we're going to monkey with some text. Take care, dear friend. Godspeed. See you tomorrow.